Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke. We're in the New Testament book of Luke. And as noted in your order of worship this morning, our children are invited to remain uh, with us in our worship gathering here today as we participate, as we observe and practice communion of the Lord's Supper later in our time together. And so parents, let me just encourage you, allow that to be uh, a teaching opportunity, a teaching time as we fix our gaze upon Jesus and the sacrifice of our Savior for us. But we're presently in a series uh, on loving our neighbors, loving my neighbor. And so we've looked at varying texts from Jesus about uh, this idea, about this truth, about this command. We began with the greatest commandments, uh, to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then we've unpacked that a bit over the last few weeks. We talked about what, is it, what does it look like? To love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Well, to begin with, we looked at some words of Jesus about one another, about brothers and sisters in Christ. So loving our Christian neighbors. And then last week we talked about loving our lost neighbors, those that don't know Christ. And tonight I want us to hear from Jesus or this morning. Did I say tonight? This is this is morning. This is the a.m. Uh, this morning I want us to hear from Jesus about uh, loving our hurting neighbors. And so we're going to look at a familiar text to many of you. And that's from Luke chapter 10. And so let me invite you to find your place there in Luke chapter 10. And as you do, uh, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Luke writes, he says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul. And with all your strength. And with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied. Do this. And you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by, On the other side, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him. Go and do likewise. Would you pause with me? 
in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, guide us by the presence and power of your spirit that is with us now, that we might rightly understand your word, your truth, and apply it to our lives as your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I've organized today's message around uh, two leading questions arising from this text that we need to consider. And the first of those questions is this, is the question that the lawyer begins with, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Life. Now, we've all seen or heard statistics around how the present pandemic has impacted lives in our own nation, in our own country, and even around the world. In fact, uh, in 2020, uh, the life expectancy, I read an article recently, the life expectancy, the average life expectancy of U.S. Uh, citizens was reduced by one and a half years as a result of many lives lost in the wake of this pandemic. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, far from one, not going to claim to be one. I'm not a statistician either. But anyway, that we read those numbers, there are hundreds of thousands of lives of fellow Americans who lost their lives in the last 18 months, right? Many of whom, not all perhaps, but many of whom would not have otherwise in that same time period had they not contracted this virus. And that's just COVID, right? Not to mention the countless other lives that have been lost from heart attacks and strokes and fatal automobile accidents, suicide. The list could go on and on and on. The, the temporary nature, we need, we need to know this, we know this. We, the temporary nature of this earthly life and the reality of death ought to lead every single one of us to consider the lawyer's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? For this life is temporary. And so that's what the man asked. Like, like this is the question we want to be asked, right? When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing our faith with, with other folks, we, we can't imagine a more desirable question than this one. And once again, we had several of our congregation go out into the community this last Wednesday night through our Engage Meadowbrook initiative, and we, we sought to care for folks and Communicate love for folks and as the Lord opened doors to share the gospel, the good news of faith and of, of salvation in Christ by God's grace through faith with, with others. And so we had opportunities to do that. And even in my group, I had several opportunities to share this good news. But in none of those instances did someone say, hey, what, what do I got to do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? No, it wasn't like that. It's like if, if Jesus was ever going to present the Romans road, Right? Or the four spiritual laws or the three circles. This is the time. But Jesus, discerning that this expert in the law isn't interested in being taught, responds in the most remarkable way. He responds with his own question. Hey, what's written in the law? How, how do you read it? In other words, Jesus, knowing this man, he says, you know the scriptures. What do they say? If they gave out PhDs in that day, then this guy had one. He had one in Old Testament. He, he knew what God's Word says. He had studied Exodus far more extensively than we did in our recent journey through that 
through that same book. He knew the commandments and the corresponding applications of them. This lawyer knew, he knew that love for the Lord and love for neighbor summarized God's law. That like Jesus said on another occasion, these were the greatest commandments. They are the greatest commandments. Jesus responds to the lawyer's question with his own question and the lawyer gets it right. What does Jesus say to him? You've answered correctly. You're right. Do this. And you'll live. You know, sometimes we Christians are guilty of glossing over the Old Testament as if it's just subordinate to the new, right? As if it's no longer significant or substantive for our walk with Jesus. Notice here that Jesus upholds God's, the goodness of God's law here. The scriptures teach wholehearted love and devotion to God and love for one's neighbor that overflows from that relationship, from that love for the Lord. The one who rightly loves God and neighbor is righteous in God's eyes. For to do so is to obey the very commands of God. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus essentially responds to the question with be perfectly righteous in God's eyes. You want to to inherit eternal life? You want eternal life? You want the good life and the everlasting life? Then then be righteous in God's eyes. Be perfectly righteous in His eyes. Obey the Lord completely. That's the path to eternal life. Do what God requires of you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Always. Don't ever not delight in God above everything else. Don't ever not love your neighbor as yourself. Fulfill the do's and don'ts of these greatest commandments that encapsulate the heart of God's law and you will live forever. You'll inherit the good and eternal life if you're perfectly righteous in God's eyes. But there's only one problem. You're not. Neither am I. We're not. We're not. The lawyer wasn't either. As it is written, there's no one righteous. Not even one. No one. Not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone, everyone gathered here in this place and other Churches across the city and around the world today and those that are in their homes today and everywhere in between have all sinned. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning no one can claim righteousness based on his or her own obedience. Right? No one can pretend they're innocent in God's eyes. No one. No one. Not your child. Not your mother or your grandmother, not your sister or your brother, not your pastor or the Pope can claim right standing with God on his or her own. No one, none of us, for all have sinned. Every single one has transgressed God's law. No one has loved God supremely and others sacrificially. For all have sinned and earned the judgment of God. For the wages of sin is death. According to the scriptures, that's what we've earned. We're sinners. All have sinned. And the wages of sin is 
death. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Suddenly becomes the wrong question. Right? For there is nothing I can do to reverse what I've already done in breaking God's law. To be perfectly righteous on our own is a hopeless endeavor. For we were born into sin with hearts that naturally and consistently choose wickedness over righteousness, selfishness over submission to the sovereign one and personal pleasure over compassionate care for others. We cannot earn eternal life and neither could the lawyer who had devoted his whole life to knowing the very commands of God. Don't miss the irony in this little exchange. Received a text on my phone yesterday and it said something like this. Your device is receiving too many spam texts. Click on the link here. I thought, are you kidding me? This strange number that I don't recognize. Like if you are my mobile carrier provider, contact me some other way. This is the wrong question coming from the wrong place. And this guy is asking, I mean, don't miss the eye. This, this guy, this lawyer is asking the author of the word about the word. He's testing the one who gives the word, who spoke the word about the word. Trying to stump this one. He's testing this one. This man is testing Jesus about inheriting eternal life. He's testing the only man who's ever inherited eternal life and the only man through whom we can receive eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? There's nothing we can do. But church, you know, praise God. There's something that's already been done. To tell us that it is Finished, Jesus said from the cross, this Lamb of God, this pure, perfect, sinless one laid down his life for the sins of the world. This righteous one has offered his life in our place for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God, the only God, the almighty God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus Our Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Acknowledge what's already been done. Simply receive Christ's perfect righteousness. Receive what's already been offered to you, what is offered to you, what's offered to whosoever will turn from sin and trust in His provision. Simply receive the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus. It's the gift of God to be received by faith. The atoning death of the only righteous one in place of all the unrighteous ones who will turn from sin and trust in him. Paul would say it this way. He'd say, God made him who had no sin, the righteous one, the only righteous one. God incarnate, the son of God, Jesus from Nazareth. God made this one. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us, to take our sin and guilt upon himself, to receive the due punishment for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Be perfectly righteous in God's eyes. But I'm, I'm a filthy sinner. Oh, friends, Jesus gave his life for sinners. He gave his life for you. Receive his perfect righteousness permanently imputed to all who repent and trust in him. Have you trusted in him? Have you put your faith in 
him? Have you received the righteousness of Jesus offered to you? Have you turned to Christ? Jesus, Jesus knew. He knew that this lawyer wasn't interested in trusting him. For he was yet to see the depth of his own sin. He did not see his need for him. We'll never turn to the Savior until the Spirit shows us the depth of, of our sin. Rather, this man still sees himself as righteous based on his own doing, wanting to justify himself, right? The text says, wanting to, to prove his own righteousness. He asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wants to distinguish between those that he's responsible for loving and those he isn't. He wants self-justification. Jesus, don't you know who I am? I study the Word. I know the Word. Of course I love the Lord. Tell, tell me about this neighbor thing. Go ahead and tell me who I should love so I can tell you my credentials. But instead, Jesus tells a story, right? A now famous story. A parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, a parable forcing a new perspective on what it actually means to love my neighbor. The master teacher performs semantical surgery, right? Flipping the question from who's my neighbor to which one was neighborly to the man in need. Am I a neighbor? That's the right question. Not who do I have to love, but how can I love the one who's in need? And for those of us who know Jesus, it's how can I love others like Christ loves me? How can I love others as Christ has loved me? After all, we too, right? We're once beat up and beat down by our sin. We were left for dead and in desperate need of someone to see us. In need of someone to take pity on us and to care for us. In need of someone to rescue and restore us by paying an insurmountable debt for us. So church, we're gathered once again today. We've gathered today to celebrate what that someone did. That Jesus paid it all. That's what our gracious God has done for us. How can I love others like Christ loves me? John says this is how God showed his love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is how God showed, the, the only God, the Almighty God, the everlasting God. This is how He showed His love among, He sent Jesus. He sent His Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice in our place. To die in our place for our sins. And he says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God has loved us in this way, since this is what he's done for us, we ought to love one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, as family in Christ. But not just with one another. For God so loved the world. And so ought we. Those lost and in need of knowing the good news of a Savior's love. And elsewhere we read, Matthew tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds, this same Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. 
You see, Jesus had compassion on the hurting, and so ought we. How can I love others like Christ loves me? By seeing others as Christ has seen me. By being neighbors who love others because Christ has so loved us. So be a loving neighbor. Be a loving neighbor. And Mr. Rogers and Daniel Tiger, they're on the right track, right? Would you, won't you be my neighbor? But even more so, not just an invitation to be my neighbor, but can I be your neighbor? Can I, can I be a neighbor to you? Can I be a loving neighbor to you? That's the assignment and privilege of those who know the great king who has come into our neighborhood. Are you a neighbor? Has God's great love for you propelled you to seek out the hurting and the broken so you can show them the incredible, incredible compassion and care of our, of our God? Now, here's the deal, though. We won't be loving neighbors if the Spirit of God isn't regularly rehearsing the gospel in our hearts. So Lord, show us again and again and again the great depth of your love and care for us. It's only when we see ourselves as recipients of God's abundant mercy that we'll begin to see the hurting around us. Oh God, help us see the hurting. Let's see the hurting. Let's see the hurting around us. May the Spirit peel our eyes, right? To see the hurting around us who may be in need. Jesus says a a priest happened to be going down the same road. A religious leader and teacher and representative, one who's responsible for the religious functions at the temple in Jerusalem, implying that this guy has just come from, from serving the Lord in that religious capacity. He's come from Jerusalem, and when he sees the man, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, one who was charged with assisting the priests concerning the religious duties about worshiping the Lord God. A priest and a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. You see, their passing by on the other side portrays their unwillingness to love this neighbor in desperate need. Even though he's right in front of them, On this treacherous 18-mile rocky descent from Jerusalem to Jericho, they do their best to avoid him. Perhaps like we've done with a stranger on our street. Avoiding eye contact, pretending we didn't see someone in need. Friends, we've got to see the hurting before we can love the hurting. We want to recognize, we want the Spirit of God to help us recognize and to see those around us who are hurting, who are vulnerable. To that end, I want to share with you about an upcoming initiative next month in a couple weeks right here. We're going to partner together. We're going to join with sister churches, fellow Southern Baptist churches through a a Caring Well initiative where we want to talk about what, what does it mean to care well for those that have been victims of abuse or those that are vulnerable to abuse. And so no church, that's coming in a couple weeks. We want to be faithful. As the Lord calls us to be faithful, we want to be honest and open. We want to love one another. We want to be a safe place and space in that way. We want to see what God's word says about that subject. And so no, that's coming. I know that's a sensitive subject 
in just a couple weeks. And we'll be a multi-week emphasis, but particularly two Sundays, August the 15th and August the 22nd. And we'll encourage you with a sensitive subject matter. If you've got parents of young ones, we'll encourage you to take advantage of children's worship opportunities that day. And more about that, but parents and other volunteers, let me especially encourage you to mark August the 22nd. We'll have a lunch, a free lunch after our second service at 12 o'clock. We'll have a free lunch. We want to share more with you, particularly about your role through that emphasis. And so parents and volunteers, potential volunteers for age group ministries, mark your calendars August the 22nd. We want to share with you over lunch. But no, this is coming. I invite you to join me in, in praying for this initiative that we would be a people, God's people, who see the hurting, who acknowledge their hurt, and share with them and show them the love of Jesus Christ. How can I love others like Christ loves me? You see, by God's saving and sanctifying grace, I can be a loving neighbor. I can see the hurting God puts in my path, and I can have compassion on the hurting. Let's be a people who have compassion on the hurting. I too can follow the example of my Savior and mirror the care of the Samaritan, right? Jesus is but a Samaritan, verse 33. Those listening perhaps would have expected a commoner, like a just an ordinary sort of everyday Jewish man or woman that noticed someone in need because the religious leaders did not, the priests did not, the Levite did not, so, but a Samaritan. Someone who had a history of hostility and hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Jews looked down on Samaritans significantly, and so Jesus said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Oil to alleviate the discomfort and pain, wine to cleanse the wound. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Jesus implicitly asked, do you love the hurting like this Samaritan did? And that's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, showing care and compassion even to those with whom you wouldn't normally have any relationship at all. According to Jesus, to love my hurting neighbor is to have compassion on him. It is to take care of her and it is to show mercy on him. And so Meadowbrook, let's be loving neighbors by seeing the hurting. Let's look for them. Who are they? Or perhaps it's an elderly widow on your street who's lonely, who's in need of care and a friend. Maybe it's a couple that's going through difficulty. Maybe it's a husband and wife who are separated. Maybe, maybe it's parents whose teenage child is rebelling and they're brokenhearted over that rebellion. Maybe it's a young lady dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Maybe it is a teenager who's lonely and hurting, depressed and in pain. Let's look for them. Who are They're all around us. Let's look for them. Let's see the hurting and then let's have compassion on them. For Christ, our Savior and King, has seen us in our need And he has stooped down to meet us in our deepest need. And so this morning, as we transition from the text, we want to remember what he has done for us. Right? How he has met our need. How our Savior and King 
has met us in our place of deepest need and provided for our deepest need by giving his life in our place that we might be forgiven of our sins now and forever, that we might be reconciled to God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you if you know that you have turned from sin and trusted in Christ for salvation, then in just a moment we're going to invite you to remember that sacrifice through communion, through the Lord's Supper. If you're not a believer, we encourage you to Spend these moments. Maybe you're not sure if you're a believer. Encourage you, out of respect for Christ and His church, to spend these few moments just seeking God, asking Him to lead you into the truth. May each of us, may we respond with repentance and faith and trust in Christ. And so as our deacons who are serving communion, if they would come and find their places now at the table, as our musicians come and prepare to lead us, in a continued time of worship, let me invite you to, to pause with me. We want to pray before we participate. And as we've been doing this, this summer, we invite you to come to any one of these tables, any table that's open, and to receive the elements. And if you're, if you're a believer and you want to participate in communion, but you'd rather not come to the table or you have some concerns about that, we'll also have a deacon that will be uh, roaming uh, the room and will serve you right where you are. And so if you would, if you would let, uh, Deacon Jonathan know that as he comes around, then he'll be glad to serve you in that way. But let's pause, let's give thanks, and then as you're led, you come to the table to receive. Father, we do pause to praise you, to give you thanks for your good and gracious. Lord, and your grace is seen to the sending of your son Jesus to live the life that we didn't. To be the only righteous one so that he could be the substitute sacrifice in our place. Mending our broken relationship with you. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus and life in him. And Father, as we participate even now in remembering the sacrifice of our Savior, we pray that you would direct our thoughts. We pray that you would stir our hearts. We pray that you would be praised in us for the glory of your name. Jesus, we thank you. Father, we praise you. Spirit, we love you. Lead us now. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.